and good evening, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition, episode 13 of the 8 o'clock spot live here on the Grid Network's YouTube channel and Twitter account. I am your host slash moderator, Bryson Carver. Very, very excited to be with you on this Tuesday. Uh, lots to talk about in the world of sports. We got some NFL. We got some NBA. Before we get into any of that, let's start with our panelists. First of all, Mike Guido, co-founder of the Grid Network and one of our t highest uh, uh, point total getters thus far on, on the 8 o'clock spot. Uh, Mike, if you can unmute your mic uh, real quick uh, there. Uh, how you feel, man, and how you feel about tonight's show? Thank you for the friendly reminder to uh, unmute my mic. I definitely would have forgotten, and I would have needed a point deduction, but thank you for saving me. I appreciate it. Uh, hey, listen, I, there's a couple things I want to bring up, at least one. Um, the first thing is, is that I don't really know what the Cowboys are doing, signing Martavis Bryant after he hasn't played since 2018. It's a very odd move. We all knew they kind of needed some outside help. I don't know why they're going for that to help fill it. They couldn't just give up a fourth round draft pick to go get Cortland Sutton or something. They couldn't just do that. No. But the other thing is, is that I'm going to give props to the New York Yankees GM. I'm sorry, Bryson. Uh, Brian Cashman went yeah. at it with the media today. And I absolutely loved it. I know that that's not popular among Yankee fans or Yankee media, but I absolutely loved it today. If you haven't seen the clips, it's very entertaining. I very highly suggest it. I was never going to mention the Red Sox uh, who missed the playoffs, so don't even mention the Angels. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, the AL always had a pretty cruddy season when it comes to playoff success, so, you know, sure I, I guess we all got to kind of kind of shut up in that regard. To yeah, another Yankee true. fan, to another Yankee fan and and uh, multi-time uh, panelist for the 8 o'clock spot, John Rivera, if you, my friend, could unmute your mic real quick as well, my man. Uh, how you doing? Welcome back to the show, and uh, I know your Jets had a rough game last night, but other than that, how you feeling? I'm blessed, I'm blessed, man. It could be another day. And also... I think I need some extra points because I did say James Harden will get traded and won't, won't put on a Philly uniform again. He would be on the team still by the beginning of the season. But, yeah, so I deserve extra points. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. But thank you for having me on the show for my third time. Third time the charm tonight. 100%. You got an opportunity to win tonight. Uh, I'll, listen, I'll think about it. I'll mold over as y'all are giving your great takes tonight and, and see if I, I you know, I, I give you the opportunity to to get the little, little, little extra credit here. But uh, to our All final right. panelist, right. Alfred Parso Jr., who evidently, as we found out last week, thinks candy corn is the goat Halloween candy. We'll pet that off aside. <laughs> Halloween's over. We can debate this next year in 2024. Other than that, Alfred, sir, how are you feeling about your Jets and otherwise? I'm a miserable sports fan. <clears throat> Jets offense did nothing last night. The Mets go and get a, a rookie manager off of Aaron Boone's bench It's uh, that I'm not confident in. It's, uh, it's not oh, good weird. to be me in sports right now. You know, we all go through periods, man, where it's just not, nothing seems to be going right. Like, it's that's, that's I understand your pain, man. I understand your pain. But uh, before we even get into any of our topics, let's real quick look at our leaderboard, our updated leaderboard after last week. So you see Barry Grant Jr. still in first place, although he very well could be surpassed by a couple of our uh, panels tonight, Alfred and Mike. But we got Barry, Alfred, Devin, Mike, Dalton, Adam. There you are, John, John, Alex Johnson, and Eric Van Litten from the Outside the Cage podcast here on the Grid Network. So let's get into our first round rules real quick. And of course, everybody, feel free to chime in the comment section. We would greatly appreciate that. The first round, it's sim this simple. Great take gives you 200 points. A good take gives you 100 points. An okay take gives you 50. And a bad take, you get absolutely nothing. You get zero points uh, for that. So let's start with what was the game of the week. And one could argue maybe the game of the season in terms of hype and in terms of this game coming down to literally the last play there at the end. And the Dallas Cowboys and the Philadelphia Eagles. Philly pulls out of the game 28-23. to uh, Unbelievable game. Both quarterbacks played excellent. Uh, both defenses made plays uh, there at the end.
weekend. There was some controversy in terms of officiating, in terms of late game clock management. It really had it all. So uh, I will start with Mike Guido. Uh, despite the close loss, despite the fact that Philly is now 8-1, um, do you share, quite honestly, my sentiment that the Cowboys actually should be a little bit optimistic coming out of this game? I don't in some regard, Bryson, and here's why. And I understand why people are saying that because Philly's a great team. Dallas really went toe-to-toe with them in Philadelphia. It's a very encouraging sign traditionally when you look at those factors. However, the same sort of problems plagued the Cowboys that has plagued them for the last several years, and it's for the same reasons why they haven't been going far in the playoffs and haven't been really competing for NFC Championship games or for Super Bowls or anything of that nature, and why they can't really win those big games. It comes down to situate uh, situational football. It comes down to penalties, even though the Eagles and the Cowboys were uh, were tied for penalties yesterday. But this is a team right now that, again, even with yesterday, they still rank 29th in the NFL in red zone offense. They are not scoring once they get into the red area. And listen, as far as I've been a critical of Dak, the last three weeks, Dak Prescott's played really, really great. He really has not been the reason for a loss. This is just something where it feels like something goes wrong. Trayvon Diggs goes down. Their secondary hasn't been as electric as we've seen uh, when they're at their best, obviously. Listen, what Terrence Steele did against the Eagles, it, I mean, that was just atrocious. That was one of the worst performances of an offensive lineman that I've seen this year, especially on a contending team. Gave up 12 pressures against the Eagles, and they have a good pass rush, but that's just unacceptable. I just think it's a lot of the same issues that have plagued them. They just didn't pop up in a more alarming sense because they played a good Eagles team, and they played a good Eagles team well. But it's the same sort of issues, Bryson. It's red zone offense. It's a lot of late-game situational football. It's all that stuff that still kind of is holding them back. That's totally fair, and, and, and that's been a legitimate criticism of Mike McCarthy for a long time, ever since he's been in Dallas. His man, the late-game execution, the playoff innings the last two years have left a lot to be desired, and and obviously not being able to cash in the red zone when they are literally within 10 yards of, of, of shocking the Eagles and getting an unbelievable win. So there's sort of the case that, hey, is Dallas sort of just grasping for a moral victory, which Dallas being at, at, at you know the spot they are as a contender, a true contender in the NFC, maybe that shouldn't be the standard. So John John, now, do you think Dallas, John John, should be should feel have, feel confident or, or you know, be in a position where they're like, hey, we, 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 we feel good coming out of this game. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you didn't win, you didn't win. You know what I mean? Like, it's, that's just what it is. But I think they definitely feel confident that they can, beat the, they can beat the Eagles. You know what I mean? Like, you got Dak stepping out of bounds. You got a guy getting tackled at the, I don't know, half a yard or whatever, line or whatever. So I think they take – they definitely know they can beat the Eagles and they should have beat the Eagles. I think they got confidence with that. I think they definitely didn't lose no confidence. I think, if anything, they knew they had the game. And, uh, you know, one or two, like I said, one or two inches is literally to define the game. So I think they got more confidence come after the game than they did before the game, you know what I mean, especially going into Philly. But Philly, you know, is one of the top teams in the league for the last two years, you know what I mean, and division rivals. And like I said, they should have won the game. So I think they come out with confidence that, you know, they could beat the Eagles. It's definitely not not a bummer. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we lost to them. It's definitely like we should have beat them. And next time, we're going to show everybody that, you know, at home that we're going we're gonna to smack them. So definitely a confidence builder for Dallas. 
And Dallas does play Philadelphia in five weeks uh, on Sunday Night Football in Jerry World, so you have that component as well. And look, you sort of alluded to the fact that not all losses are created equal in the sense that you know Dallas four weeks ago gets the doors blown off them against San Francisco. It feels like the sky is falling. Now you play a true NFC contender, or maybe the best team in the conference uh, on the road down the wire. So there is some you know legitimate uh, you know some some high points to a certain degree that they can take from that. Finally, with you, Alfred. Now I know you've been a Cowboys skeptic uh, for 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 most of the season. Do you think the Cowboys should have any sort of confidence in a way? coming off of that game against Philadelphia? Confidence, no. And uh, as the great Jay-Z once said, uh, moral victories are for minor league coaches. Uh, the Cowboys had two big issues in that fourth quarter. Now, if you look at the game on paper, yes, Dak Prescott, 357 yards, three touchdowns, no turnovers. He had a great game, but he could not finish the game. Uh, with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter, we all saw that play. Uh, I forget the tight end, the backup tight end's name. But uh, on the goal line, at fourth and goal on the goal line, he has, a, he has a completion that couldn't get into the end zone. That's number one. And people seem to overlook the body language and the energy of the Cowboys because, you know, football is, a, is just as mental as it is physical. I don't know if any of you, you fellas noticed, but uh, with 122 left to go in the fourth, when they were trying to make that, uh, that comeback drive, they were jogging to the line of scrimmage after completed passes. No sense of urgency. So uh, I think I, I can't be proud. I can't be proud of if I'm a Cowboys fan or even somebody who supports the organization, I can't be proud of that loss because the energy wasn't there. And then when, when it mattered the most, you couldn't move the ball. So again, like you said, they play each other in five weeks. This time it's at home because, you know, road games are a thing. Uh, the Philadelphia crowd uh, did play a factor. So, um, you know, things could be different when they go to Dallas, but if you can't move the ball on the goal line, that that's that that that's scary. So, uh, and also, again, you got guys hot dogging it uh, with a minute twenty two left in the fourth when you're down, trying to score and come back in the game. So, uh, I, I if I if I was Coach McCarthy, those two things would have got me living. That's fair. I mean, I, I I don't I don't know about the 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 jogging the line because in fact, I mean, if they were jogging the line, the clock was moving. That's one thing. But because uh, again, again, like I mentioned earlier, with with Mike, clock management has been a huge factor, a huge you know concern with McCarthy for uh, for a long time. But you know, it, it's fair. They they weren't able to catch the red zone. Frankly, that that's that's the knock on this Cowboys offense is that's that's really the weakness. They haven't been good you know all season long in, in the red area and cashing in whether it's when not getting touchdowns, whether it's coming up short on fourth down. So you bring up some fair points. Uh, so let's get to our point to uh, our point. If I can speak today our point totals uh here after the first round uh mike i don't know if i totally agree with you but i thought it was the great take in the sense that that yeah the cowboys pull you know pushed him to the wire but in the same sense it's it kind of felt like the typical close cowboys loss like really good they looked talented and, and dak played well all that but just not enough the, the execution wasn't good and as for philadelphia the execution outside of that last drive defensively was nearly flawless as it tends to be uh throughout most of the season so i thought that was a great take by you um good take by john rivera uh, that you know, you brought up the point about you know, in terms of there are a few inches here, a few inches there. The pass of Schoonmaker on the goal line, uh, Dak stepping out of bounds of a two point conversion. Uh, but I thought a good take by you, uh, Alfred. I I'm not gonna lie to you, not not a bad take. I'm actually gonna give you a great take as well, my man. It, you know, I, I never considered the whole jogging to line of scrimmage thing, and maybe there's not a sense of urgency. Maybe you can interpret that maybe as a 
you're trying to stay calm type of thing for Dallas. You're not trying to look disor disorganized. Maybe that comes into the, in the flight into the fray as well. But uh, overall, great take by you. Uh, moving on to our second round rules, real quick. If I can pull them up here, okay. Second round, a great take gives you 400 points. A good take gives you 200. An okay take gives you 100 points, and a bad take again, you come up empty-handed, zero points. So we have three AFC contenders flex their muscles to a certain degree. The Kansas City Chiefs in the morning beating the Miami Dolphins by a final score of 21 to 14 in. Germany. Uh, Kansas City's offense didn't muster much, only 14 points of the day, but the defense played well, shutting out Miami in the first half, getting a defensive score, and holding to it in the Dolphins' offense uh, to, uh, you know, stopping on that last drive at the end uh, to secure the win. Uh, as for the Baltimore Ravens, uh, Baltimore throttled a very good Seattle Seahawks team uh, by a final score of 37 to three. Lamar Jackson played well, albeit no touchdowns, but this Ravens scoring defense still number one in the league playing. It's playing out of its mind right now. Uh, this, the Ravens right now, best record in that brutal AFC North. And speaking of the AFC North, the Bengals capping off a great day of football with a big time win of their own 24 to 18 over the Buffalo Bills. Joe Burrow playing out of his mind over 300 <laughs> yards passing and the Bengals defense once again, holding their opponent to under 20 points. So I will start first now with you, John Rivera. Uh, to me, I, I think you, the, you could argue these are the three best teams in the AFC with respect to teams like the Jacksonville Jaguars, for example. But in your eyes, who is the leader in the clubhouse of the AFC? Is it the Chiefs, the Ravens, or the Bengals? I think personally it would be Baltimore. I would say Baltimore, man. Because KC, like you said, they, they hung on to beat Miami. Uh, they hold on to beat the, my Jets. Like they, you know, they're doing what KC do, which is win games, but they're not looking very impressive. You know what I mean? They definitely missing Tyreek Hill. You know, they won the Super Bowl without him, but they still definitely missing that weapon. But I like what Baltimore's doing, man. Like I said, they, they're winning these games. They smack Seattle, which I actually like the Seattle to come in, especially with the points. They smack Seattle, and they're not even all the way in full form. You know what I mean? Like Andrews hasn't been, you know, Andrews yet. Odell's still getting in the mix. He's been missed games here and there. They lost a top running back, you know what I mean? And they're, they're just winning games, man. They're doing what Baltimore does. And in that hard division, like you said, uh, you know, leading before the show, like you got four teams that can make the playoffs if it started today. So I like Baltimore, man. I'm, I, I def Cincinnati is definitely 1A, especially after beating Buffalo and 49ers and all that. But I like Baltimore. Like, like I said, Baltimore hasn't fu fully hit their full swing yet, and they're still, you know, one of the top teams in the league overall. So. I'm right with Baltimore, man. So you're going, so you got Baltimore. So you have Baltimore. You mentioned Kansas City. I'm sorry, uh, Cincinnati's 1A. So you have both of them over the defending champion Chiefs? <laughs> yeah, I have them both. We talking about right now, like what, who to watch out for? Sure. I'll take them. Because like I said, you know what case is going to bring, you know what I mean? But I think that lack of offensive uh, uh, change uh, adjustments in the second half, definitely going to hurt them, especially in the playoffs. They can't, they can't do that forever, you know what I mean? Sure, yeah, but I feel you. Right now, those two teams are, are objectively playing better, so I feel you. To Alfred Parsar Jr. now, the contender, the leading contender today in the AFC. Is it the defending champion Chiefs, the AFC runner-up Bengals, or the upstart, uh, seemingly one of the best rosters in the league, the Baltimore Ravens? I got to go Baltimore Ravens uh, for the fact that while some people can make the case for Cincinnati with their recent success, you got to remember, uh, Baltimore is two games better in the standings right now than the Cincinnati Bengals. <clears throat> everybody tends to forget Cincinnati had a horrid start to the season and they're just now starting to wake up. Of course, Joe Burrow did have that calf injury that hampered him early on, um, but they're looking like a well-oiled machine. But the reason why I say Baltimore, look at, look at the wins that they've had this season. They've had a couple of emphatic wins. 
Um, they blew out a very good Seattle team, like you just said. And even before that, people, uh, I don't know if ever, anybody remembers, but they they did almost the same thing, if not worse, to the Detroit Lions a couple weeks ago. And the Lions are the NFC North front runner right now. So uh, Baltimore, and the thing about Baltimore is they can kill you in, in on either side of the ball. Either their offense is going to come get you, or if the offense has a bad day, the defense is going to come get you. So they're, they're a well-rounded team. As far as Kansas City Chiefs go, and I even said this a couple weeks on this show, and I got docked points for it, but Mahomes just hasn't looked like his normal self uh, this season. Uh, of course, we we he had the loss against the Broncos a couple weeks ago. They said he had the flu and he was on IVs before the game. All right, whatever. But for 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 a quarterback that's been known to have these explosive performances, um, we we we've seen him do uh, go for five touchdowns, six touchdown games in the past. Um, everybody was expecting a shootout in Germany between um, the Chiefs and and the Dolphins, and they didn't get it. Um, the the offensive issues um, in Kansas City have been bad, so I can't rank them uh, above above the Ravens until they get a proven receiver. Uh, out there, whose name is not Travis Kelsey, who's not a tight end, that offense is going to be in some trouble, and defense has never been the Chiefs' strong point. So, got to go to Baltimore Ravens. Like I said, their offense, as they Ten seconds in Detroit, out. offense in Detroit, they, they proved they can mollywop you. Their defense this past Sunday against the Seahawks proved that they can hurt you equally as well. Going with the Ravens. That's fair. No, listen, the, 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 you could argue the best team in the league on both sides of the ball, San Francisco, and when San Francisco's on, at least can make that case as well. Uh, and you're right, Kansas City just hasn't seemed like the same Chiefs team that they did a year ago. And, you know, despite really the only guy they lost in the receiving core is Juju Smith-Schuster, who isn't exactly tearing up. Then again, who would tear it up with with, with, with McCorkle in New England? So, it, you know, there's there's only there's certain limitations there. But finally with you, Mike Guido, uh, the, leading, the leading dog in the AFC, Chiefs, Bengals, Ravens, who you got? So I'm I'm actually surprised that we're kind of all in lockstep here. I'm going to say it's oh. the Baltimore Ravens too. I think right now they might be the the most complete team in the NFL. I think right now you're looking at a team that does pretty much everything well, and a lot of it is stemming from, and it's we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. A lot of it is stemming from the fact that Lamar Jackson has been as efficient as he's ever been in his entire career. He's completing 71.5% of his throws. He's not turning the ball over. He's still doing what he always does with his legs, right? I mean, it's just what they've been do able to do on offense, and this was really always their biggest problem is, you know, they couldn't find – they were always able to run the football well, but was their air attack good enough, right? Did they have the weapons to succeed through the air? Now they do. Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews. Odell Beckham has uh, has shown some uh, some production on that side as well. They're getting guys like Nelson Aguilar and Rashad Bateman back into this offense as staples in this offense, real legitimate weapons. So the fact that they can run the football, control the game, control the pace of the game, Lamar Jackson's efficient throwing the football. This is a lockdown defense, and I agree with with both of these guys. I mean, think think about it. Everybody else kind of has problems. Cincinnati is kind of getting hot right now, but people do seem kind of relative to forget that, you know, just three weeks ago, we were questioning on whether or not they were going to make the playoffs. I'm going to give the Bengals a little bit more time. I know Joe Burrow's healthy now, so it's kind of looking upward, but I'm just going to give it a few more weeks until I fully, fully buy in. And Kansas city is, is I listen, I, Bryson, you know, this, you and I have had several conversations about it. I'm a little cold on Kansas city at the moment, just because they don't have any receivers outside of Travis Kelsey that can separate. I mean, these are guys that, you know, 
I made the joke that Rasheed Rice and Sky Moore are going to have to develop quickly because they need them. They just don't have guys that can consistently create space in this offense. I disagree with Alfred in some sense because I think Kansas City's defense is very good this year. That's what's keeping them in a lot of games. But I'm a little cold on the Chiefs right now, too. I don't know that their offense is as high-powered as we're used to. I think right now the Ravens could be very well the most complete football team in the league to this point. And, I mean, like we keep saying, they're blowing out good teams. I mean, the Seahawks are a good team. Detroit's a good team. They're, they're not beating scrubs. They're beating up on real seconds, good teams. Mike. Yeah, no, they are beating good teams. And you know what they did in Seattle, and I saw a stat from Lamar Jackson. I think he's now 16-1 and against the NFC, which is just a crazy stat. And again... You know, they're not, they're not being scrubs. They're not beating, well, they did beat the Cardinals, but it's not like they're just blowing out the Cardinals or the Panthers or somebody. They're, they're beating, uh, to me, a Super Bowl contender in Detroit and a legitimate playoff contender. And right now, still, the as far as I'm concerned, a half game back of the 49ers in the uh, NFC West and the Seahawks. So what they're doing, you know, with Baltimore is, is absolutely special. Got a comment here from Clint Alexander. Clint, if, if Baltimore's offense is also not 100% fluid, how do they get the nod over Kansas City? Also, Ravens struggle in the playoffs. Uh, struggles in the playoffs are well documented. Documented. So until they get over that hump, they will be a question mark, in my opinion. That is that is a fair critique in Kansas City. We know the playoff success they've had. Uh, Cincinnati getting to Super Bowl two years ago, AFC title game last year. That's that's legitimate. But I guess if, if the conversation is right now, I think you'd have to go with the Baltimore Ravens. And and frankly, guys, I I, I agree with all three of you guys. You know, it's, it's crazy. We, we we all we all have the exact same take, so to speak. And I thought all you guys gave uh, great takes. So if I can show the the, the point totals right now, uh, Alfred, um, yeah, Alfred, great take. John, John, great take. And Mike, great take. Everybody gets great takes, okay? Congratulations, everybody here, because it's not just that I agree with you. I think it's the fact that, uh, you know, you, you guys sort of detail what Baltimore's able to do on both sides of the ball and, you know, how, how they're superior to Kansas City and, and Cincinnati in that regard. Uh, but I will have to warn y'all, don't doubt the dynasty in Kansas City and don't doubt Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. He's he's coming. He looks healthy and healthy every week. So this could be a dogfight as we get further and further the season, and I can't wait. Moving on to our final topic, uh, and, and again, before we obviously get the final round, we'll be the top two point getters. But our third round rules put up here. Great take gives you at 800 points. A good take gives you 400 points. An okay take gives you 200 and a bad take still zero. And the fact of the matter is uh, there is a 100-point difference between our top or, or, or our three panelists tonight. So, you know, this could come down to the wire. So let's shift to the NBA. Let's shift to some hoops and the most popular team, the Lakers, and those popular players still, I believe at least, in LeBron James. So the Lakers lost last night to the Miami Heat uh, by a final score of, uh, if I could pull it up here, I think it was 108 uh, to uh, 107 against the Miami Heat. Uh, LeBron James played absolutely outstanding once again, despite being near 21, uh, 30, uh, 30 points uh, on 13 of 23 shooting. But Lakers lost the end. Anthony Davis got hurt. Uh, LeBron James, the plus minus for the Lakers when LeBron is off, on and off the floor is absolutely staggering. Their offensive rating uh, went with him without him is, is staggering as well. So I'll start with you, Alfred. You're a Lakers fan. Uh, do you think the Lakers are too reliant, despite what appears to be a pretty good roster, too reliant on LeBron James? I would say yes, and I'll tell you why. Um, you mentioned AD didn't finish the game last night, got hurt. If you look at the current Lakers injury report and guys who have missed games, mind you, the, the season's only two weeks in, and you have guys who have missed significant time already. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt, yet to play. Uh, Rui Hachimura, uh, since the third game of the season, has been on the injury report. First, he had an eye contusion, and now he's got a concussion. Uh, no Gabe Vincent, who, who, who's been proven to be a, a lethal perimeter player. So, I mean, uh, it, it's rough when you're, when you're missing key guys. And then um, from watching all these Laker games, especially the recent games, uh, the two games they had against the Orlando Magic, 
Uh, and even the game against the Clippers, when LeBron is not on the floor, the offense just doesn't click. Um, you got guys like Austin Reeves, who's been who's uh, struggled in most of the games this season. Uh, of course, with with no AD, he's built like glass. He's just fragile. You never know uh, when when he needs to get carted off the floor. Um, but but yeah, they they don't have a choice but to rely on LeBron because again, LeBron, you know, it, it, I think when guys play against LeBron, most guys, it's a mental thing. They're like, oh snap, it's LeBron James, greatest player in the world. So it's a bit of a mental effect, and he does play bully ball still at, at, at the great age of 38. But, I mean, at some point, it, it, it's, it's just not going to hold up. Um, but, but they do rely on LeBron because they have no other choice. Who else could they put the, put the ball in the hands of? Cam Reddish? Um, Austin Reeves? No. Like, uh, the, te- the team is just, is just injury-riddled at the moment, so they don't have a choice but to put it in the hands of, of their aging superstar, which is unfortunate because in the offseason – I think they they should have went and got him some help, um, and then even guys like uh, like Christian Wood, if it inconsistent so far to start the season. So I don't know. I, I, I I'm I'm a little, I'm a bit worried for the Lakers at this point. There's no reason why injuries should be piling up for amongst their key players this early in the season. But to answer the question, yes, they do rely too much on LeBron only because they have no choice to. If he's not gonna, he's a facilitator and a scorer, and it seems like nobody else on the team right now can do it. Yeah, and look, you know, if I were a Lakers fan, which I would, you never catch me dead in, in that position, but if I were a Lakers fan, I would look at this team and say, you know what, or look at your take, really, and say, okay, if this is an injury problem, this seems to be fixed. Well, obviously, we know Anthony Davis's injury history. You mentioned uh, Jared Vanderbilt. You mentioned Gabe Vincent missing time and Austin Reeves kind of going, kind of, kind of having up and down stretches this season. Cam Reddish, who you mentioned, obviously missed the game-winning shot there at the end, uh, and it is shooting a pretty low percentage from three-point range. But real quick before I move to Mike, I, I do want to say this. Uh, I brought this stat, uh, stat up. So, again, the Lakers' offensive rating uh, without him uh, is, uh, is is 116 uh, yeah, the one uh, with him. Sorry, with him, the Lakers' offensive rating is one sixteen point seven. Without him, it plummets to ninety one point two. So it's a different basketball team, and they go from being like the 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 Denver Nuggets, basically, you know, with him on the floor, to being the the freaking Orlando Magic, or these days the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, in terms of offensive rating. So I'll move to you, Micah. You're you're a big LeBron guy, uh, Cavs fan. Uh, by the way, congratulations on ending an incredible losing streak against the Golden State Warriors on Sunday. I'm very proud of your team. It's about time. But uh, that said, um, do you think the Lakers are relying too much on LeBron? right now obviously uh, I think it's it's happened throughout LeBron's entire career I mean this is just the way that LeBron teams work you know what I mean it, first stint with the Cavs he puts them in the playoffs every single year making it to multiple Eastern Conference finals and what happens he leaves and the Cavs get the number one pick in the draft with the exact same roster like it's it happened in Miami they didn't play the same they the offense didn't flow the same way when it was D Wade and Chris Bosh who was who were running things same thing happened the second time in Cleveland when LeBron wasn't on the floor Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love couldn't get it done now it's the same thing here with the Lakers and especially since Anthony Davis is getting hurt who they just can't seem to rely on in almost any capacity to this point um but listen if you just do a little bit of digging right a lot of LeBron's game is drive and kick right? It's that's to the point where he is in his career. He's still scoring a bunch, but a lot of his game is drive and kick, drive the lane, kick to a guy on the outside so they can hit threes, right? That's what they do. Okay. Austin Reeves is shooting 31% from three. That's not good. D'Angelo Russell is shooting 27% from three. That's not good. Cam Reddish is shooting 15% from three. That's not good. Max Christie is shooting 12.5% from three. That's not good. A lot of these guys that they need to rely on to hit these shots for LeBron 
they just don't work, period. And when he's not on the floor, they Alfred's exactly right. They don't have anybody right now that can truly facilitate an effective offense. They just don't do They don't have it. They don't have very many guys that can create their own shot. They don't have very many big body guys that can get their own basket down at the rim. So absolutely it's this way. It's the way it's been for LeBron his entire career. And this is just when LeBron is not on the floor. Listen, this roster was designed for LeBron to be able to play 30 minutes a night and be done with it. Now he's got to play 38 to 40. Listen, it's going to bite them when it comes to playoff time if they're in that position. So, uh, listen, obviously it's like this. It's always been like this for LeBron. Yeah, I mean, when you talk about his his value to to, to franchises, and you mentioned it twice with the Cavs and with Miami, they missed the playoffs. The great Miami Heat missed the playoffs, the great culture they have. I mean, the Lakers, again, like you said, they, they can't survive when, when he's off the floor. Finally with you, John, John, do you think the Lakers are too reliant on the great LeBron James? Yeah, yeah, just like you uh, both guys said, you know, with injuries, you know, injuries going down, they did build a team, you know, kick and drive. That's why they brought all the shooters over there, shoot, kick. You know what I mean? They're not hitting no shots, so if you ain't hitting no shots, you're not going to look good as well, you know. Like I said, AD, they tried to shift it, you know, team to AD, but that didn't happen, as you see. Like I said, he's about to miss some more games. Like he was about to say, but yeah, they definitely put too much on LeBron James, man. And, and like you said, when once he leaves the court, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, who's these guys? Now we can, you know, they they just killed them, killed them backup guys because they're not afraid or intimidated or starstruck, like Alfred said, when LeBron James is on the court. You know what I mean? So they definitely put in too much on LeBron. You know what I mean? It's like they just standing around, like you said, even though that's his game. You know, get the ball and shoot, fire the shooters. But yeah, they definitely putting too much on LeBron. And they try to, you know, the first couple of games, they try to do the minute restrictions. You see how quick that lasted, you know, <laughs> talking about uh, whatever, whatever. And then we're going to put the seasons for this season, the minutes for this season. But that didn't last long due to injuries and due to Lakers' struggles. So, you know what I mean? It's definitely going to bite them at the end if you're going to play LeBron all these big minutes and stuff like that and picking up the slack for other teammates, you know what I mean? That's not playing well at the moment, you know what I mean? But. Yeah, at this moment, they're definitely, you know, using LeBron James way too much. Glad he brought up the minutes restriction because that that that, that is – I remember when Darvin Ham and then LeBron is sort of, you know, kind of pushed back on a little bit because LeBron's like, hey, I don't care if I'm year 21, man. I want to play. I want to play as much as possible. And, and Darvin Ham comes out with this minutes restriction. I'm like, yeah, let's see how long this lasts. And it lasted, if I'm not mistaken, about two games when he had to play extra for them to beat the, the Phoenix Suns in the second right. game of the season. And uh, for the record, by the way, LeBron James is averaging 36 minutes a game. So that they, they've basically just thrown that in the trash barely two weeks into the season. So that's that's a real genuine concern for them. Okay, so let's get to our points. Actually, you know what? Let's not get to our point totals. Let's, let me tell you who the two finals are. They are Mike Guido and John Rivera. For the first time, sir, you are going to the final round. I apologize, uh, Alfred, there. A solid take. Give you a 1,000 points there. But uh, Alfred Parso Jr., unfortunately, is not able to, to advance uh, to, 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 to the um, – But I will say this, Alfred. You know what? You put up a far more admirable effort than the Jets' offensive line last night. I will give you credit for that, sir. I will give Thank you. you. It, was, it, was, it was an admirable performance. Admirable. Wow. John, uh, Alfred, uh, good stuff, and uh, we'll talk to you here at the end of the show, man. All right, John Rivera, Mike Guido comes down to you two, my friends. Mike, by the way, Mike, the defending champion too. So, John, you got an opportunity to take the champ down. So, before we uh, get into that, let's get now to our final round rules. It is a winner go home situation. Okay, the winner mm -hmm. ten 
thousand points, which can go a long, long way in the overall standings for the eight o'clock spot. Of course, the end of the season will be during the NBA finals in June. That may seem like a long time from now, but every single point matters, ladies and gentlemen. The winner gets 10,000 points. Of course, the loser comes home empty handed. We had some great quarterback play on Sunday, but I don't think any better than CJ Stroud in Houston. CJ Stroud, 470 yards passing. Five touchdown passes, including leading a game-winning drive in a win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And my man, Space Dobbs, Joshua Dobbs for the Minnesota Vikings, five days after being tra traded for from the Arizona Cardinals. He steps in, leads the Vikings to a comeback win, accounts for three touchdowns total, through th two through the air, one on the ground, leads a game-winning drive for the Vikings to win a big game on the road against the Atlanta Falcons. So I will start with Mike Guido. Both of these performances were exceptional, but which do you think was more impressive? Was it CJ Stroud in Houston or was it Josh Jobs in Minnesota? Yeah, I definitely think it was CJ Stroud. And listen, I there you have to give kudos to Josh Dobbs because this first week in the offense, he didn't even start the game, right? But the the thing about Josh Dobbs was is that I think we're kind of losing sight. He did fumble three times and lose two of them. So there is part of that that needs to kind of be thrown out there. But C.J. Stroud did something that was really unprecedented. And this is not a Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense that's sorry either. That has a good pass rush. They have a, a secondary that takes the ball away. Uh, they have crazy safeties over there in Tampa Bay. And C.J. Stroud is really doing all of this without really premier weapons, if you're looking at it, right? Dalton Schultz is more of a possession receiver. Noah Brown was not a big-time receiver in Dallas at any point. Yeah, listen, his best receiver to this point is a third-round pick in Tank Dell. And it, listen, it, what he's done this year has been absolutely phenomenal. Guys guys like Nico Collins, a lot of these guys are guys you haven't even heard of before, uh, before this season. That's because of C.J. Stroud. He set the NFL. Let me read it right here. He set the NFL single-game rookie passing record with 470 yards. That was previously held by Andrew Luck, by the way, in that same division. So... I think C.J. Stroud, I think it's without a doubt C.J. Stroud. He's been the most um, impressive offensive rookie to this point in the season, and I don't really think it's close. I think a lot of people doubted him. I think he's doing really, really well. And listen, <laughs> you just you can't come up with enough words to describe it. He's playing really well right now for the Texans. And I'm genuinely ready to say eight games this season, Mike Guido. I think he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. What we've seen thus far, given what he took over in Houston, wasn't it like you, you mentioned like Tank Dell. Who's, who's Tank Dell? Who the heck is Noah Brown and, and Dalton Schultz? But two of those guys were shipped out of Dallas. You've got Nico Collins. you got these guys making plays for him um, and yep. him putting them in position to be successful. So CJ Stroud, like you mentioned, the thus far, the not a great away. offensive line either, Bryson. This is yeah. not a great offensive line over there. There's a lot of defensive head coach to make There's so much stuff that is like against this kid that is traditionally against rookie quarterbacks, and he's just killing it right now. He's so productive. He's been absolutely spectacular. To you, John, John, who is better, C.J. Stroud, Joshua Dobbs? Hey, man, there's no wrong answer, man. No wrong answer, man. Amazing C.J. Stroud. Let me give C.J. Stroud his props, you know, to start with, so you don't know my answer. Shout out to C.J. Stroud, man. Like Mike said, he got the rookie record for yards. He had, you know, Tampa Bay defense is great. Uh, you know what I mean? Like you said, the team don't got that many weapons, but also, you know, rookie coach and everything. So he's playing free, free house money, everything. And he's looking great, man. Definitely rookie of the year. Definitely will be top five if he keeps it up in MVP voting this year as a rookie. I can see that, you know what I mean, all day, especially with the numbers he he's putting up. But. Like I said, there's no wrong answer, but I got to go with Dobbs, man. Come on, man. Like, he's been playing good basically all year, even though Arizona sucks. 
but you know he put uh, uh, numbers on Dallas and and and, and uh, Giants and you know all these other teams and they come in you know what I mean a couple of days in not even know the offense not even take a, a snap with the with the with the center he had to do that as the uh, other quarterback got hurt and they come in man like I said yeah three fumbles whatever nobody looking at that when you get that W at the end man and Joshua Dials man like I said a hell of a story man like I said going to a couple of teams and. and Coming in Minnesota at the trade deadline after Kirk Cousins get hurt and come in and win the game, man. That's all he does, man. He's definitely a winner. So, like I said, no wrong answer here, but I got to go with Dives, man. Like I said, Minnesota doesn't have that many weapons as well. Like, their main receiver is out. Jefferson is out. Uh, since they uh, lost Cook, like, Madison hasn't been, you know, he's not doing anything out there or whatever. So, you know what I mean? I would say, you know, about the same as weapons and stuff like that. So, that was definitely more impressive for Dobbs to come in. Like you said, not know the offense at all. At least at least Stroud had all season, you know, to work with the offensive team and all that stuff like that. So Dobbs was more impressive, man. But like I said, there's no wrong answers here, man. No, no wrong answers. And to tack on your point about sort of what Josh Dobbs had around him, I, I, you know, obviously bringing into account the fact that he didn't, he barely knew the, the Vikings playbook at all. You know, you, you mentioned not having uh, Justin Jefferson there, no Dalvin Cook from last year, but you also have, he had dealt with some injuries to that offensive line that game. Uh, Cam Akers tore his Achilles, sadly is out for the season, so he loses uh, his best running back. So what he did was was absolutely spectacular. By the way, against the six, uh, coming in that game, the six ranked defense uh, in the NFL and doing so on the road. But again, both performances were absolutely spectacular. I'll go ahead and dial up the victory music uh, for our winner, um, because again, I, I thought both of you guys gave absolutely fantastic takes. I can see where both of you are coming. But the winner this week, the 8 o'clock spot, episode 13, is John Rivera. John, John, you get your first win on the show on the 8 o'clock spot. Congratulations. Hey, hey, hey. First time hey. champion, John, John, how are you feeling? Uh, this, is, this is how winning feels, you know what I mean? Definitely on my franchise as a sport that hasn't been winning lately. This feels good, man. <laughs> Definitely like the music, you know what I mean? Definitely. Third time's the charm, as I said, to lead the show, man. Third time's the charm, baby. Yes, sir, man. Congratulations to you. I'll bring Alfred back in the fold here, and I'll, I'll ask uh, uh, Mike, sir. I, I know you were able to defend your crown this week. How, how, how are you feeling? I thought you gave a great take, for the record. Uh, I think the sole purpose why I lost this one is because Josh Dobbs played for Tennessee. No, 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 no. I think that's kind of the reason why. Um, Listen, all respect to John John, man. Obviously, I love you, but I don't know, man. I think Tennessee <laughs> had something to do with this. I'm just saying. John, uh, Mike, I'm dealing with two Yankees fans here in the final round. It was already a lose lose situation for me. Okay, so just uh, tone it back with my with my bias, right? I mean, of course, I, I'm, I'm not like I'm. I love Joshua Dobbs only because he went to Tennessee. I mean, he is a you know, if, if as I heard someone say today, if football was rocket science, Josh Dobbs would be the best player in the league. I mean, it's it's he's a genius off the field. He's Clearly a genius on the field for the way he did yesterday. But again, again, John alluded to it. I don't think there was a wrong take. I think C.J. Stroud was excellent uh, in, in that game uh, against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But um, again, great take by you. Alfred, good stuff by you as well. That is it for this edition of the 8 O'Clock Spot here on the Grid Network. Be sure to tune in next week at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific time on Twitter and on YouTube, both on the Grid Network. And of course, be sure to go subscribe. Uh, to the Grid Network on YouTube. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. Follow all of our incredible content creators on their social media platforms. And follow John Rivera. He's not a member of the Grid, but follow the Fan Perspective podcast on social media. Subscribe to their YouTube channel. They put up some great, great content over there. John's on great guys. So is Mike Guido. So is Alfred Parser Jr. Great, great performance by all three of you in this game. We'll see you all next week. Unlucky number 13 was very lucky for John. John in a fun episode uh, overall. So see you all next week. Stay safe out there. God bless you all.
and peace out. Peace.